Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the journal of the association of lunar and planetary observers, also known as the strolling astronomer podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you'll feel even more generous for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, find us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 127... And we're going to learn, learn, learn a little bit about the little planet Mercury. Stay tuned. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Uh, we have with us today the coordinator of the Mercury section of the Alpo, Frank Malia. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Yeah, thanks, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Okay. Why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get started? Okay. Yeah, all right. I'm 63 years old, and I've been interested in astronomy since uh, I was 11 years old uh, when Apollo 11 went to the moon. And um, little by little, I started to get interested in astronomy. Then I got my Tasco telescope for my 13th birthday. Um, Tasco four and a half inch reflector, which I had for 10 years. And uh, then oh, you started off larger than most of us. Most of us started off with a 60 millimeter refractor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most people. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, I got to, I have, well, I have a small 40 millimeter refractor, but then I got the four and a half inch uh, Tasco reflector. And I had it for 10 years. And um, then I, then I got the selection eight inch telescope. Then I you know, promoted myself to, to astronomy and I get more deeply involved, uh, you know, like deep sky observing and planetary observing uh, mm-hmm. throughout the 80s. And I've been doing a lot of astrophotography, um, planetary photography. Uh, I'm using films at that time. Uh-huh. So, you know, you think about today using film, it's like doing the dinosaur age. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you can buy film anymore, can you? Uh, yeah, I don't know how I, how I do with the films. You know, I used to developing myself. Yeah. 
you know, I have a little dark room when I used to live with my parents. Um, you know, um, developing films, and uh, because that's the best way to get out of your astrophotography and um, planetary uh, photography. To, you know, you have to develop your own films and all. Right. And, uh, no, then a little bit later, um, then I joined a lot of um, organizations. I joined the Alpo in 1984. Um, you know, AABSO and. and uh, no, a couple other amateur organizations, of course, my local astronomy club, Astronomical Society of Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then little, <laughs> little by little, um, I start to get more deeply involved, especially planetary uh, imaging. Then I, then I can enter to uh, the world of CCD mm-hmm. in 1997. So since that time, and I've been doing a lot of CD imaging, especially planetaries, and a few of, of the deep sky objects. But my passion is more planetary observing and, and the imaging. And uh, then in 2001, I became a Mercury coordinator. Um, so I'm still a coordinator since that time. And um, enjoying being, uh, uh, being a Mercury coordinator because it's helped you to learn what you see and collect ups, observing uh, report from other people, other members of the Apple, and um, I've been doing that ever since. And uh, so, yeah, but just to give a little overview about the Mercury session, um, you know, the, I've been doing the Allen report every every year, uh, so I'm like, and every uh, every quarterly uh, of uh, of publishing of the Apple, the solar astronomers. I have my own column when I write. Uh, the Mercury uh, session. Any anything that's exciting, any anything exciting about Mercury, um, about the observation, and any any members that goes out of the way to observe Mercury and make a very interesting observation. Then I write a little bit on the column uh, on the Mercury session report and every um, every issue. Uh, then you have an annual annual report of uh, of the Mercury observation uh, so um, yeah that's about it's about it and uh, you know we have few few members um, still observing mercury and sending observation um, yeah so um, yeah now, now mercury is one of those planets that I mean once you can find it it's easy to observe but it's also a planet that you know it, it takes some hunting because it's usually fairly close to the sun. And yeah. I think, and it's fairly small too. And I think for that reason, it's not the most popular uh, uh, solar system object to observe. But there's a lot going on with Mercury too. Um, well, you know, don't forget, um, you know, um, you know, like um, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn are pretty well observed because mm-hmm. they're very easy to see them. They're brighter, as you can see, in midnight skies. Right. Um, you know, even Venus is so-so. Uh, it gets gets. Um, Far enough away from the sun to observe Mercury, uh, mm-hmm. Venus, um, you know, during reasonable hours after sunset or before sunrise. But Mercury is very tricky because uh, it moves very rapidly. You know, you see one, you see one night after sunset, then the next couple of nights uh, it completely gone. It moves very rapidly. Same thing in the morning sky before sunrise. You know, you, you you may see one day, one morning, and then it just disappeared the next day or two. It moved very rapidly. Um, 
you know, I, like the equipment, um, you know, most of the observer, uh, I would suggest to observe mercury like if you have a six to 10 inch um, aperture, that's pretty much uh, enough to observe mercury. But you can observe mercury like through the binoculars or a simple mm -hmm. refractor like a 2.4 or a three inch refractor. Uh, but if you want to be a little more seriously, if anybody want to uh, observe mercury a little more deeply, I would recommend for like six to six to ten inches telescope. You don't need a very large telescope to look at mercury. Right uh, now, when, when when you look at uh, mercury visually, what do you see? Visually, um, well, it looks like a very tiny moon. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it it goes through the it, it goes through the phases just like the moon does um, from from Gibbons to uh, half a phase and to crescent phase. Uh, it looked like, um, um, if you observe Mercury in high power, it looked like Venus in low power. And you're able okay. to see space. You know. Okay. And um, yeah, don't forget, it's very small. Um, right. You need a high magnification to see it clearly. Yeah. Now, what about surface details? I mean, what what, what type of surface do, details can um, you see? Okay. Um, surface detail, that's another thing to uh, uh, to go by. Um, like if you have a telescope, like 10-inch telescope, uh, you can't able – if the seeing condition is good enough, if it's above average, if you use a filter, a red filter will help to increase the contrast. Um uh, a moderate uh, uh, eyepiece, you know, you don't want it too high, you don't want it too low. A moderate, a moderate power, according to the telescope you're using. Um, if you if you look at Mercury, especially in the morning apparition, maybe after sunset, if you follow Mercury into the daylight skies, the daylight hours, mm -hmm. um, if you're lucky enough, Probably you can even make up the details. Um, I cannot stress enough because regardless, it's very hard to observe anything on, on the surface of Mercury. But if there is enough contrast, if you're using the red filter, uh, will help increase um, the contrast and the contrast against the background appears a little darker and you can able to concentrate the disc a little more clearly. You may see some maybe like a white patches, uh, uh, which is the crater ray, ray craters, ejected ray craters, uh, which appears like a white spot. Um, yeah, I think in some of the some of the beetle features when you see light in dark area, but sometimes it's, it's so it's so faint that you don't know if it's there or not. It, okay. it pop, you know, it come. It comes and go, and uh, so you know it, it, it's it's very hard to to confirm it what you really see on Mars uh, on Mercury. Yeah, the color filters are are really a requirement for observing Mercury. Yes, yeah, yes. same same with Venus. I mean, it's you look at Venus without a filter, and it just looks like a big light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with Mercury, the red filter, I think that it's the best because don't forget if you look in the daytime sky. Um, it will help to darken the blue sky against uh, the background. And um, that's then, true. Yeah. Then on the surface, it will help to increase the contrast to whatever um, uh, is visible on the surface. And, and still, it, it's very, very hard to see. 
Okay. Now, now working in the Mercury section, do you have uh, different types of observing programs that people are involved with? Um, we, what we have, we have when a lot of when any of the members send in the, uh, the application, uh, they say mostly they um, they send in imaging. They use their webcams. Uh, okay. When I first started uh, as a Mercury coordinator, a lot of people send in the drawings, uh, the Dick's drawings. And um, so as the time progresses, a lot of a lot of members got access to the, to the webcam. And with the improved technology, uh, with software and all, they can able to image Mercury a little easier. And uh, using filters, um, it, it makes it a little more easier to, uh, to see Mercury and possible uh, detail on, on the surface. Uh, so lately, I've been getting a lot of images now, more than, than the drawings. Okay. All right. And for imaging, are they using different wavelengths of light they're imaging in? or? Um, well, you, the zooming, yeah. Um, well, you need a high magnification. You need a high magnification. Um, you need a bottle lens to increase the mag, um, to increase the power. But the mercury is very, very small. And uh, you know, you, when I talk about small, I'm talking about like maybe like six, seven to eight arc seconds thick diameter. So right. yeah, and uh, you need a you need a high magnification and 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 a good scene because. Uh, you know, you want to observe Mercury as high as possible above the horizon. Right. And um, so that that means daylight. So that's a little more, um, uh, you know, the sky has to be very clear, nice blue, crystal clear sky. And you, and you can really, clear, really see Mercury really, really clearly. So almost like seeing Venus in low power. Okay. Now, how many contributors does the section have now? Um, okay, as of now, it's about, on the average, about five. Okay. Uh, uh, no, one year is five, then, then another year is six, seven. Okay. Including myself. You know. so the, the, there's obvious need for more observers of the planet Mercury. Um, well, unfortunately, you know, observing Mercury, the details and so forth, is not too much of a uh, scientific um uh, uh, value to it because we the, the surface now is is very well known mm-hmm. and thanks to the messenger uh, the messenger spacecraft now we know what Mercury look like we know what the surface look like mm-hmm. and um, so it's not really too much of a scientific observation that you can do with Mercury um, you know you want to probably you want to see how, how much detail you can be seen and you can confirm. The detail, along with the messenger imaging of the same longitude that visible right. Earth. So the messenger spacecraft, you know, it went to Mercury. It mapped it pretty well. So when you're making your observations, and you have something to compare, yes, uh, compare to, and that that's that's pretty significant as well as an amateur to be able to oh, say, yes. oh yeah, I um, actually I actually saw these things. Yeah, that helps you to confirm what you see, right? And um, whether it's an artifact or real or, or the real feature, um, you know, then you know you get, then you have to take a couple more images to see if it's repeatable or something like that. Okay. So, have there been any significant discoveries or observations made in the section? Um, 
Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, just past year, um, Mercury Sodium Town. It's it now starts to uh, be start to get imaged by amateur astronomers. Uh, you know, you know, Mercury we, we, Mercury doesn't have any atmosphere, but they do have Mercury do uh, Mercury does have the sodium sodium molecules, and um, it, it scattered above the surface. Now, it being that it's close to the sun, um, the, the sodium molecules are pushed away from the solar winds. And from the distance, it looked like a comet. And you can see the tail, the sodium tail from the distance. Now, if you use the sodium filter, which is isolated only on the sodium um, 589 nanometers, um, you're able to pick up the sodium light from mercury and you're able to make it out the tail the pointing away from the sun. Right. Yeah. Um, I have posted uh, this, um, this alcohol journal. Uh, you can see uh, one of the members uh, took the image of mercury with the sodium tail and along with the crescent moon. It's a very impressive sight. Um, so, you need just uh, a simple uh, technique, like a camera on the tripod and using the time exposure and using the filter, and you can able to uh, image uh, the sodium tail on a reasonable, you know, maybe out, maybe an hour after after sunset or an hour before sunrise, uh, with mercury nearly the greatest elongation, which means uh, the furthest away from the sun as possible. Yes, I mean now. Um, now it, it it opens up the new chapter of imaging mercury. Now, if you have a sodium filter, yeah. At this year's uh, Alpo conference, you actually presented a paper on this. And oh yeah, I, that, I, that's yeah. the first I had ever heard of a, a tail, a sodium tail on mercury. That was amazing. Yes, I um, I might uh, when I did a presentation last August, I, I posted this, I posted on on my uh, visual presentation, and a lot of people were amazing. And now it's, it's now, now you got the sodium tail that you can image with a simple uh, camera on the tripod. Yeah, those of you listening, if you're interested, you can go over to the Alpo uh, YouTube channel, and the entire conference is available there on the YouTube yeah. channel. And you can see uh, uh, Frank's presentation where he does show us the tail of Mercury. It's pretty amazing. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. It's almost like equivalent to. Now you can image the dark side of Venus using the infrared filter. Mm -hmm. just, it's just the same thing. Right. Yeah. So so sodium filter. How much is a sodium filter for a telescope? Um, well, Edmond, Edmond uh, scientific product, I think for a quarter of an inch, um, a one and a half quarter inch diameter, I think that go for $135. Okay. Yeah. All right. By Edmond. Yeah, Edmond. Edmund, okay, and, and that opens up a whole new type of observing too. So you're oh, obviously yeah. interested in getting uh, photographs of the sodium tail of of Mercury as well. Yes, yeah. As a matter of fact, they were discovered by the spacecraft. Uh, I think Mariner ten uh, spacecraft, and they're confirmed by the Messenger spacecraft. Uh, and from the distance, you uh, you can see the sodium tail. Uh, it's surrounded by uh, sodium molecule on the surface, and what forces it to tail is the solar winds. Right. And that it's so close to the sun, and it caught the tail down. It pushed away you know, the sodium molecule 
by the solar wind and but this is it require comet that's very very much that's i mean with the comet you have the the, you have the nucleus and the coma, which is the cloud around the nucleus, and the right. solar wind is what makes the tail, not the speed of the comet or anything like that. Exactly. It's, it's the solar wind that gives the, uh, the, 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 the image of a tail. Interesting. Wow. Yes, it is, yeah. It's never been done before by the amateur astronomer. Well, you, you, you brought it to the forefront, and I'm sure there's people out there interested in doing it now. Oh, yeah. I plan to do a little write-up on that. I mean, I mentioned briefly on my, uh, on my Mercury session news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the full issue, so I'm going to do a little bit more write up because I have more information, and uh, hopefully, you know, it will encourage people to, to um, you know, to try it out. So. Okay, well, talk to us about the current operation of uh, of Mercury. Uh, operation, yes. Okay, uh, so Mercury just went through an inferior conjunction uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, October 9th. And now it's into into the morning sky. Now that's going to be a very favorable uh, apparition of the year, uh, being that uh, it's visible before sunset, before I'm sorry, before sunrise, uh, because uh, the ecliptic is very very uh, steep, so it's like it's pointing straight up against the horizon. So when Mercury nearly uh, at the greatest elongation, which will occur on October 25th, it would stand 18 degrees above the sun, above the horizon, nearly at sunrise. So Mercury is pretty, pretty high up, and you're able to see Mercury very clearly with naked eye. And, and um, it would be bright enough if you have a telescope and follow it into the daylight hours, you can see Mercury really clearly uh, as it get high in the sky, if, assuming if you have a crystal blue sky. And that will be the best time to observe and trying to detect any detail on the surface. Um, so Mercury will be visible um, much, much of late October into well in November. Um, after greater location, October 25th, Mercury will be visible uh, at, least, uh, at least until um, mid-November. And we're still bright enough to be close to close to uh, minus one magnitude, so it should be bright enough to be seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With Mercury being a, being visible in the daytime, too, it would be higher in the sky, which means the atmosphere would be less turbulent, too. It's not yeah, that, close to the horizon. So that's, a real, uh, that's a real advantage of look, observing Mercury in the middle of the day. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, you got to you know, you have to observe the safety rules right. of having, um, Mercury during the daytime and and make sure, you know, like the telescope is in the shade, mm-hmm. uh, like the shade of the house or something like that. And you have a small window, Mercury will be outside of the, like if outside of the roof of the house, just to say, and Mercury will be visible at that moment before before the sunlight comes out and, and, um, and hit the telescope. Uh, so, you know, is um, most of the time you find the atmosphere condition very, very still, very stabilized into the morning hours, uh, even even um, later morning hours, like late morning, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock local time. Uh, you got to make sure that the telescope's in the shade, uh, maybe the shade of the house, mm-hmm. and, and you can observe, you have a very short window. To observe Mercury before the sun, the sunlight comes out 
uh, hit the telescope. Then you have all the heat effects, turbulence. Right. You know, so, you know, it had to be very quickly because, you know, it don't stray too much, too far from the sun. Right, right. Um, so, you know, they have to, you got to plan accordingly that you got to make sure every, for every minute count when you're trying to find it, um, you know, when you're trying to focus and uh, if you want an image, you got to set it up. Uh, so every minute counts because it moves very quickly and uh, before the sunlight will interfere, uh, you know, interfere the observation. Okay. All right. So uh, where are the Mercury observations published? Oh, okay. Um, it, it pops in, every year. It pops in in, uh, in the solar astronomer. Okay. Uh, the Apple Association of Lunar Planetary Publication, and I publish it yearly. And and you see all the reports of one year. Um, you know, or you see all the obs observers. You know, how many how many observations of they? You know, where they live, where they located, and uh, then you write about. What you see for each apparition, like apparition one, like in the morning sky or evening sky, and then apparition two, three, four. Most of the time, it's about six to seven apparitions a year. So I write about each one of them and okay. get it published in, uh, in, uh, in the Apple Journal. All right. So what do you see for the future of the Mercury section? Well, I hopefully uh, I continue as the Mercury coordinator, and uh, hopefully I will try to attract more more observer and any new things like like the sodium tail a year this year and look forward to uh, um, look forward to um, another uh, spacecraft that's heading to Mercury with the Pepso Colombo it's a combination of it, uh, uh, Italian and European agency uh, spacecraft. Uh, will enter uh, Mercury's orbit in 2025, which is about four years from now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, hopefully we'll build new information. So look forward to, you know, look forward for that. And um, hopefully uh, you know, many observers uh, will improve their um, observing skills and um, uh, emission skills. And hopefully we'll get a more clear image of Mercury. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's been doing that almost every year. You know, I proved myself the last two years, I proved myself in Mercury chemistry. Uh, so it got a lot better since when I first started 21 years ago, you know. Yeah, well, practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah. So is there any additional information you'd like to share about the Mercury section? Um. Well, is um, hopefully you know, continue to um, send it in the observation, whether you know if you see anything or not. Um, even if you observe a crescent, that's pretty valuable. You can see, uh, uh, you know, how the crescent, how the phase changes uh, from half to crescent in the numbers of days and all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's pretty much valuable. You can see how quickly Mercury moves. Right. Uh, so. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's fun to it. It's a very challenging, very challenging to observe Mercury. You know, don't forget you're observing an image of Mercury as uh, the most um, difficult object. And Mercury has the uh, reputation of the most difficult object to to observe and to image. Yeah, in my years of amateur astronomy, I believe I've only seen Mercury maybe 
five or six times. Okay, yeah. But those are the times. I mean, I looked for it and I found it. But that's the thing. It's just you guys. You got to know the right time of year where it's going to be because it's always going to be low on the horizon. Yeah. Even if you even if you observe Mercury uh, naked eye, that that pretty much satisfies because you don't you don't often see Mercury. uh, Right. And especially during the planetary conjunction, uh, it's more eye catching to see Mercury when it's near Jupiter or or Venus, Mm -hmm. even even planet Saturn. And because you know, because they're much brighter, and then when you have a lot of when you have a public viewing uh, during the planetary conjunction, if it's Mercury involved, they're able to see Mercury nearby, nearby the planets, uh, mm-hmm. Venus and Jupiter, and they're able to see Mercury, and then they never see Mercury before. That's true. Uh, so there's more eye catching during the planetary conjunction in, than uh, if Mercury was uh, standing alone in the sky. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, Frank, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I will put your contact information and links to the Mercury section in the show notes for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Just send it to me, uh, frankj12 at aol.com, my email address. We'll and, do that. Okay. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, is um, you meet the challenging. Yeah. I hope, I hope we get a few, uh, Mercury observers listen to this podcast and submit their observations to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Frank, thanks for coming on the podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Frank Maleo for coming on and giving us a very enlightening discussion about observing the planet Mercury. Get out there and take a look. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, and Spotify. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you'll receive one year's membership and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.